0: the first podcast of integrated care stat we are produced by Walker G Productions and my name is Leah Getz I am a behaviorist and program evaluator and adjunct professor and clinician I'm going to keep adding to that list and I am here with Dr. Greg Mater and I'm gonna let him introduce himself talk about himself a bit
1: right yeah thank you my name's uh, Dr. Greg Mater so I'm a family medicine doctor uh, and I used to work with Leah. Back Mm -hmm. in a residency setting where she was the behavioral health faculty and I was the, uh, or one of the clinical faculty there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not only caring for patients, but also educating uh, resident physicians at the time. Uh, Since then, I've kind of moved on. I still do some resident education, but also do quite a bit of uh, independent contractor work still in the field of family medicine.
0: Yeah, we like to do a lot of stuff.
1: Stuff is great. Yeah
0: we're all about personal growth <laughs> which leads us to this podcast. <laughs> we wanted to do a podcast that was about integrated care because outside of like the circles that we run in, it doesn't seem to be a very common phrase. Like you know, when I talk to people that live in other states, they're like what what is that exactly? So, when you I know what I think when I think of integrated care, but when you think about integrated integrated care, what what does that look like for you?
1: Uh, for me, yeah. So I think uh, so. Sometimes I I do run into people confused about uh, what the term even means, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes I get the feeling uh, there's a question inside their minds asking, "What are you integrating here?" I know what care is, and I understand healthcare to some extent, but but uh, so what we're talking about here is integrating um, behavioral health mm-hmm. and and medical care that often fits into a primary care setting, but it doesn't have to be necessarily. Uh, And the idea is that if we integrate those in a more seamless way, we can take care of people more comprehensively.
0: So in a non-doctor way to say it, (laughs) the (laughs) way that that I think of that is being able to look at patients from that holistic viewpoint and also like social determinants of health, you know, 10, even 10 years ago, that wasn't something that, that was even really talked about a whole lot. You know, we knew that was an issue, but there was also still kind of a piece that was like, well, figure it out. (laughs) You don't have transportation? Better start walking, find the bus schedule. And when we started looking at how those social determinants of health were affecting their well-being, their stress level, and then how that was affecting their physical health, I find it incredibly comforting to be able to go to one place and have it be like a one-stop shop. And whether they can get all the services in one place, the fact that they would have somebody help them coordinate, I feel like is super, just really helpful and such a load off whenever you don't feel good.
1: Yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah.
0: I'm always curious about people. I'm sure that's the therapist in me. But because medicine requires such an incredible dedication of your life, I'm always curious how people go into it. What What drove you even this direction?
1: I thought it would be fun. <laughs> oh, my God. So <laughs> The f- the first time this idea dawned on me, I, was, I remember it was in the eighth grade. We had a career day in, mm. in middle school. And a physician came in to talk to us. And I thought, eh, that sounds kind of neat. Uh, and I still remember one of his lines, even to this day, uh, somebody asked him, what he would do differently, or if he could change something, and he held up his pager and he said, "I wish I could change this," uh, and that was really all I had to say about it. But, um, but it it, uh, it stuck with me anyway, uh, or at least the positive aspects of what he was speaking about uh, stuck with me since then. And as I went through the various levels of schooling, uh, medicine seemed like a, a nice combination of things in life. So there's a lot of problem solving and people interaction and socialization and um, Puzzles, uh, also uh, complex knowledge and research and developing ideas. Uh, so it seemed like it would be a, a, a very stimulating field to be in. Hmm. Actually, what I kind when I almost compared it to in my mind was being a mechanic. You know, somebody comes in with some issue and they have symptoms, but uh, it's up to us to put it together and figure out what's happening, and not only what's happening but how to address it and fix mm-hmm. it as best we can.
0: My car's making this noise. It hurts when I do this.
1: <laughs> Let's figure out what that is. Yeah, so that all seemed kind of fun.
0: So since you've had this in your mind, was and now that you have been doing it for a while, is it what you thought it would be?
1: Yes and no. They, there is that problem-solving component and certainly a lot of social interaction. The part I wasn't expecting was all the systemic mm. things to deal with. So just nationwide healthcare and insurance and paperwork and... Uh, stuff that's necessary doesn't dawn on a eighth grade year old student when they're thinking about career options. Does it
0: dawn on a twenty two year old student <laughs> about to go to med school?
1: I think if you ask most twenty two year olds, they would say they recognize that that is an issue or that it's prevalent. But I don't think anyone really understands it until we start doing it.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, I I read this book called the I think it was called the disillusioned physician, and that was one of the things that they had talked about was I had this idea of. I think this person's, the the author's father, I think, was a physician. And so he treated patients in a very small office. They came in. There wasn't that big administrative burden. And so he saw this thinking, this is really what I want to, what I want to be doing. And then getting there, and if I remember right, he ended up being a cardiologist. But being able to, you know, look at that and recognize that there's a lot of obstacles to treatment is frustrating that that's one of the things that pisses me off more than anything else and feels like it hinders my treatment, especially when something needs to be done right now. And there's an authorization that needs to be obtained or something else, some other menial roadblock that in the grand scheme is not going to mean anything is in the way. So, yeah, I, I feel you. Well, I probably brought up that point, but I feel that author on that point for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. it, I, If you think of a a perfect scenario with a a doctor and a patient addressing a problem and trying to recommend a certain treatment, you know, it's hard enough to uh, motivate the patient to take efforts towards the goal or uh, Mm -hmm. undergo this path. Uh, And then you add in uh, insurance approval or denial for that matter and all sorts of other obstacles in the way, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to refer somebody off to a specialist and they don't take that particular insurance, but the one in network doesn't quite have the skill set you want and... Or just prescribing, I want this particular medicine because it has these benefits, but that's not on formulary with your plan, and we have to figure out another option. This one's not as good, but it's on formulary, and it just it just goes on and on. Mm.
0: I think the I remember the governor saying that he formed some sort of healthcare committee, task force, something. Have you heard this?
1: I, I heard a little bit about it, but I, I don't know many details.
0: Well, I remember I I remember listening to his State of the Union. And that was one of the things that he said was a priority was this, we're going to figure out what this healthcare system is. And I know I was driving to a SIM practice, so I know this was in the middle of SIM. But now that SIM has ended, SIM is the state innovation model. Now that SIM has ended, I'm unsure of what is next. And the programs that I've heard of that perhaps are more federal, the guidelines have changed, the way that they handle things have changed, which I. I'm just not in agreement with I have a hard time understanding that thought process of how they actually got there, regardless, I want to be part of that task force like the all of those things that administrative burden all of those types of issues that all of us struggle with. do you see a like what are some solutions to those? How would we even get around
1: that? I'm not sure when I think about this well, actually maybe we should back up and talk about what the sim model is for our listeners first.
0: Oh, I don't want to get in too much into sim okay. Only because it's over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is a moot point. (laughs) Yeah, Sim was the state innovation model and Colorado um, got like $65 million that was funneled down through practice transformation organizations, um, the University of Colorado practice transformation organizations and primary care practices and some specialties to integrate behavioral health. So that looked like increased screenings for patients, more succinct referral systems. It kind of shored up all of the lines of travel in my mind for people that struggle with, with mental health, where they need to go at which level of acuity. So I think that it, it was a fantastic model. I think the aggregate data that came out of it is really impressive. Um, I think the practices did a phenomenal job as far as going from... I, I had one practice that three years prior to SIM, they were on paper. So made that change to go electronic they, it, it was a super small practice, so she couldn't afford to have a behavioral health provider in house. But she worked with another mental health agency that did virtual. And if she was ever, they had a collaborative care agreement. If she ever ran into an issue, she could call them, have somebody virtually talk to the patient. So she figured out a lot of workarounds. And that was something that I found really impressive. Like going from that place three years ago of literally writing paper notes to seeing, you know, having virtual at least not co-visits, but collaborative visits, feedback sessions. So state innovation was a, a really good program and it was super exciting to to work in. And it's over. So hopefully there will be another one like that that will help because I feel like there's a part that I think the practices, at least the practices that I worked with, maintained a level that they could sustain because we weren't grandiose in our ideas of what was realistic. But now that it's gone... Does that mean that's just kind of where we sit? There's no more improvement?
1: I sure hope not. I I imagine another project will come along. uh, Certainly every little project gets a little foothold in the industry and uh, Mm. grows from there. So maybe it's a small scale now or smaller scale, but hopefully it'll continue to expand, even if there's not uh, a funded project behind it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Governor? You're welcome to come on. <laughs> we would love to hear your ideas.
1: So back to your original question. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, you were asking if, uh, if there was hope for healthcare.
0: So, and I'll back up one more time. So, <laughs> what do you when you see cracks in the system? Not so much documentation from like a clinical standpoint, but cracks in the overall like healthcare system, the integrated system. What are they?
1: Uh, I think access to care continues to be an issue. Yeah. And all sorts of different care. Um, a lot of times, people think of visits with a provider or physician when they talk about access to care, but uh, it goes beyond that too. Obviously, just affording medicine and even a, just affording healthy food, right? Uh, and exercise. Uh, those resources aren't free, certainly, and uh, have a huge impact on people's health.
0: Yeah. It, are there are there partnerships that you think should be happening? with the healthcare industry and others that are not associated with the healthcare industry?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think yes. So um, it probably comes back to the same nutrition and exercise Mm -hmm. priorities. Uh, In my mind, I think those are are really, really important. And they often get overlooked. Uh, You know, people in healthcare almost think that Um, taken for granted or uh, that's an assumption that uh, someone's going to come see me with an issue. Certainly they've already tried diet and exercise before they come see me (laughs) uh, and that's never the case. Yeah, Uh, I think we should spend tons more time on uh, educating folks on what that means and and what what, uh, little changes they can make for themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always tell people it's uh, nutrition is definitely about the journey and not the destination because uh, no nutrition is perfect. It's more about sustainable changes along the way and Uh, getting rid of things that uh, cause issues and and adding things that can help with um, adding benefit.
0: Yeah. And I'll take one step further. If we're going to be trauma informed, trauma comes out in all different kinds of ways. Plenty of it comes out around food. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's for sure.
0: So uh, that to me is another big part of that integrated care. How can we be trauma informed and recognize that it's not like, Hey, how you, you weigh 300 pounds you have to know that this isn't healthy right, right? right. <laughs> so what what is it that we can do to instead of focusing on i mean we need to focus on the scale because that's just a metric that is important and we sh- i don't think that something should be discounted and what does it look like that you're w- that you're willing to do and able to do that still moves you forward so i i think so much of that is instead of it being hey you have these symptoms here's what the cure is it's more you have these symptoms if you choose to manage them, they may go away. Should you choose not to manage them, they may increase. And they may infect essentially other areas of wellness. So do you remember, I don't even remember what year this was. I think it was over a summer that the clinic that we worked in partnered with the uh, a community rec center. I think it was in Westchester. Oh, I do remember, remember that. Remember that? Yeah, I forgot about it. And our patients that had A1Cs, if they were diagnosed and had diabetes and they had an A1C Maybe it was just a diagnosis, certainly for an A1C over nine, but perhaps just a diagnosis. This rec center gave uh, family passes to our patients so that while the kids were out of school, they could have healthy activities and have some place to go. The patients could work out initially helping to control population health. So I thought that was a fantastic program. And I'm shocked that more people do not do it.
1: Yeah, that was a wonderful initiative. I, I really liked that a lot. Obviously, it wasn't uh, entirely comprehensive. You know, we didn't uh, necessarily address.
0: We didn't measure it, for uh, one. We
1: didn't measure it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a um, evidence-based practice or her experiment by any means. It was just um, an effort to try and help our patients. And, and we didn't help with things like transportation or her mm-hmm. um I don't think we did even formal childcare of any kind. It was really just the pass to the gym. Well, they can uh, take their... Them. And the, they can do it at the gym with, yep. the ch- with children. But um, uh, So it, we obviously didn't ab- address all the obstacles. We were just trying to help a little bit with um, getting people a little more motivated to, to make healthy changes.
0: Yeah. Why did we not measure that? That is so stupid.
1: <laughs> That's a good question.
0: I That would have been fantastic to be able to... Uh, to me, that shifts the money around a bit. Yeah. Right? If we yeah. can at least show a correlation of... Community mental health centers helping to control population health. We need to be shifting that financial piece around. I think a bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the money has uh, quite a bit of weight in any industry. Healthcare is no exception there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think the other places that are outside of healthcare are like the social determinants of health. You know, are there grocery stores? There was somebody we used to. So there's somebody that I used to work with in clinic who worked at a grocery store, and her job was to take people around and talk to them about labels and educate them on where the best places to shop were in the grocery store. So I know that there's things like that that exist. They just seem so few and far between. You know what I mean? When I think of like, God, if this was a normed behavior, it would be very difficult to not engage in it. So I'm that's the other thing when I think like what can we norm that when it's outside the norm then it's weird like I want integrated care to be so normal that when it doesn't happen people are pissed off like this should not be happening I should have this screening I should have this screening <laughs> that's I think the that that's the goal of mine
1: yeah I yeah I remember my local grocery store was offering that service I thought I thought it was very interesting yeah. I was I was pretty excited about it I didn't take care take advantage of it myself because I figure out I'm already an expert. (laughs) But uh, it seemed like a great idea. Uh, But, yeah, I think one of the concepts is um, this idea of food deserts where uh, different communities actually don't have as much access to healthy foods in particular Mm -hmm. and uh, groceries that maybe other areas do. And so certainly those guys would be maybe helped out by uh, having better access to food and and educational opportunities like the one you were speaking about. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that that's such a, I think that that's a huge struggle. And I also, I'm going to switch gears, actually, because I just looked at this other topic, and now I want to talk about it. <laughs> going back to those partnerships of of what are some other things to augment that that treatment plan, what do you, what role do you think nature plays in treatment?
1: Uh, oh, that's a good question. It's, <laughs> it's 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 uh, it's hard to come up with a snappy answer for you. Uh, I I I think it's a little bit bottomless. I don't think any of us really understands how deep that goes.
0: How do you feel when you're in nature? Because I know that's your gig.
1: Oh, do you mean? Uh, are we talking about nature as being just outside and uh, enjoying the well, natural world?
0: So I would say yes to that, especially when having you know patients that live in like inner city. That don't have transportation, they're not going to be going up to the mountains and going hiking more gotcha. than likely. Gotcha. So, so I I can certainly speak to sociological, um, or not sociological, social psychology research that um, talks about the importance of greenery in spaces. And they did research in urban areas, so in lower income housing, um, perhaps Section Eight or government housing. They they looked at this research, and what they found was. Is that if there was even one tree, (laughs) any piece of greenery lowered rates of crime. So, And I I can't tell you exactly how they measured crime. I don't know if it was something super serious like we measured the number of shootings or if it was just all crime in general. But that was one thing that I remember thinking like, why don't we have parks everywhere then? Why is there not something that is in, of course, Denver does. I was living in Dallas when this was going on. So... That was something that really stuck with me, obviously if I still remember the research, all of these million years later, since grad school. <laughs> and thinking about that, I when I, I know how I feel like when I lived in Gunnison, even going up to the mountains. I don't want to exercise in the mountains or in nature at all. But just sitting there makes me feel so much better. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious if you think that there's what that plays in just overall wellness for patients?
1: Yeah, so I'm with you now. I was off on a wrong track earlier. So I thought of we were talking about. Of course, you were, Greg. Uh, Keep up. I thought we were <laughs> getting on the subject of uh, genetic predis predispositions to disease but uh nature in terms of the outdoors um, i'm with you
0: oh got it nature versus nurtures, yeah right? that got kind you. of a thing yeah. sorry
1: but uh, yeah back to the um, outdoor uh, yep. nature that way uh yeah so I, actually um I, I do think that has a huge influence mm. um, i've seen a few uh written articles and, and even self-help books where they suggest just being outside and not having any structured activity just just being there and just being present uh for a few moments and just just the fact of being outside mm-hmm. uh, can really have a big impact on people's well-being and, and mental health. Mm-hmm. I and remember- I think there's probably trickle down too, once your well-being and mental health is is better, then you have uh, um, physical improvements as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen any research on this, but I would guess that if somewhere, someone were able to, I would guess you'd see real hard data, like uh, even for diabetics, their, their diabetic testing like their A1C might improve if they had a regular outdoor time.
0: I'm going to talk to you about a, Lottery project. If we ever win the lottery, this is what I want to do.
1: We'll we'll
0: only do research. We will build like a huge house in the middle of the mountains and we will only do research on that.
1: The Lee and Greg Research Institute? Yes,
0: that's it. Excellent. We (laughs) we will determine how our interventions in nature produce better metrics for diabetics and people that have depression (laughs) and maybe even hypertension. We'll add that to the list too. I like it. (laughs) That would be so fun. What do you think would elevate integrated care from where it's at now?
1: I think there's still lack of awareness out there, e- even among people in the healthcare industry. If mm. you bring up the, the term integrated care, I think a lot of people's first response is, what are we integrating? And, and don't realize that's a specific term referring to integrating behavioral health and and, uh, and more traditional medicine. Uh, so I think that would obviously be a big, be a big step is just improving awareness. Mm-hmm. Also, access to care is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my mind, an ideal world would be uh, having some sort of practice situation with mental health and uh, medical care folks all in the same place uh, and patients just passing seamlessly between the two. That's hard for a whole lot of reasons, obviously, but in this ideal world of mine, it would be great that to, you, know, you come in for because your wrist hurts and, and we can spend time talking about uh, inflammation and, and even diet and exercise and what that effect has on it. And, and then to, uh, also playing um, bring up the mental health um, and behavioral aspects of it as well. Uh, all in the same visit, all at once.
0: How do you bring, bring up me. weight with patients? Because well, no one ever does this with me.
1: It's a, I- it's tricky, and I think a lot of people are afraid to, to touch it. Uh, this day and age, um, we've become very cautious about offending people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that's... Uh, a step in the wrong direction by any means but um one of the consequences I, I guess of that is uh it makes it harder to talk about topics that could potentially be offensive and then so weights on that list as well so i for, feel
0: like there's not enough separation between weight and
1: beauty yeah, you know what i
0: mean yeah. like health is a different thing than being beautiful
1: yeah. yeah, I've actually had one of my friends go through that very conversation with a patient and say, uh, we're not talking about beauty. Uh, that's completely unrelated. This is just health and the numbers involved in your weight. And, and she really laid it out there. I thought that was a, a neat approach. Mm-hmm. My, my usual approach is I say, usually ask permission somehow, uh, depending on how the conversation goes, it might sound a little bit different, but usually something like, can we talk about weight? Uh, usually I start with the BMI, the body mass index. That's usually a, a recorded piece of data we have on check-in before uh, before the patient is seen so i i have that number mm. available to me when i'm in the room yeah and so i can often show them that that number uh and we can make it very non-personalized and make it just very data-driven and no feelings attached to it in any way and, and say do you first of all do you know what a body mass index and kind of explain how you calculate it and what that means and then we go into what's a normal range and how's yours compared to that and then Um, then I kind of turn it over to the patient to take the driver's seat a little bit and say, are there things we could do to improve that or or make you healthier? No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for coming in. I'll see you next time. (laughs) That's right. I'll see you in three months. (laughs) Well, on that note, we will end the first podcast of 2019 integrated care stat. (laughs) That means now. That's right. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) produced by walker g productions and we hope you will listen again on the next one
1: take care everybody